Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to the Michelle Meow Show. Today is Sunday, so that means we will be hearing from B.B. Sweetbriar. Let's welcome It's Everything with B.B. Sweetbriar. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of It's Everything with me, your hostess, B.B. Sweetbriar. I am here for the noon hour on Sunday, Sunday, September 20th. As a segment of the Michelle Meow Show. So I hope that you stick with us and enjoy the rest of your hour with us. I have some interesting guests that will be coming on a little bit later that I hope uh, will be of interest to you. I'm sure you have all heard of the rentboy.com raid that happened later in the month of August um, that has actually, you know, sparked the attention of many in the gay community, um, particularly sex workers. Um, and all over, and of course, the question of whether or not um, we should be decriminalizing um, sex work um, has gotten to another height um, because of this. Um, but I will have actually someone. A lot of things have been discussed about this, you know, whether the whys um, and so forth, or why that actually happened. But I'm actually going to speak to someone on the other end of everything to see how this will all affect his work. And uh, I'll be bringing on Wolfie Blue, who happens to be an advertiser on RentBoy.com, and then later I'll be speaking with an author. Uh, of a series of books that I think are very interesting because it's kind of putting our our gay lives in print as well as possibly on television. The author of the wonderful book series, um, Boys Town, will join me, Jake Biondi from Chicago. So we'll have both of those on on the, the show a little bit later on. But, you know, I, I have the... Um, a question or what we call the debate, which is the first segment we always start off with here. And I had a debate question last week and asked all of you to um, put in your thoughts. And if you did that, I would read some of those over the air and, of course, give out some prizes. And nobody did that. So with with all that tears running down my eyes on this, and I'm going to present to you another debate question that hopefully you'll find some interest in and have some thoughts about and would love to share it here with us here on It's Everything. And so, again, I, I, I send out to you if there's some comment that you would like to make on what I'm about to speak to you about, please feel free to email your wonderful thoughts to It's Everything at bbsweetbriar.com. And I will definitely select some to read on the air and give out a few prizes. And we give out a lot of great things, so don't be shy. But our debate today is... I know everyone loves cinema, we love television, we love to be entertained, and we love the whole art of acting, and and I'm going to focus on that word acting, because I always wonder why it is that we, or the Hollywood folks, find it necessary um, to put straight actors into playing gay characters, yet they have a hard time selecting an openly gay actor to play a straight role. And I think that's kind of weird because it is all acting, is it not? You know, we have so many straight actors who have played uh, gay characters, and not only have they played them, they've played them well enough to win um, Oscars for their work, such as Matthew McConaughey and Jared Leto, who were both in Dallas uh, Buyers Club, both playing gay characters, and actually Jared playing a trans character. Um, Tom Hanks in Philadelphia won Best Actor. Sean Penn in Milk uh, won his Oscar. And um, Jake um, Gyllenhaal and... um, and Heath Ledger, of course, they didn't win for their acting abilities, but the movie went on to win Best Picture, and that's talking about Brokeback Mountain. So it, it just kind of 
if those type of performances um, can be believed by the public, and that's what it's all about, right? Is that when actors play characters, it's to make you believe they are, in fact, the role that they are playing. Well, why is it that we can't have, you know, a large segment of our openly gay actors play straight roles? It just seems like Hollywood frowns upon that. Um, and even when we talk about trans roles, up until recently, are uh, trans actors actually been playing um, trans roles? But I even I even put the question out there: Why does a trans actor have to play a trans character? Why can't the trans actor play a cis character and um, just as believable as any other role? I just think it's just something to that we need to ponder. And I, I know many times in the media they try and call that. Uh, attention to Hollywood, but it doesn't seem like many are hearing that. And I'm just curious of why that is. I think many of us can can use our imagination or actually it, to me it would even be stronger because we do know that uh, people have some stereotypes about uh, gay the gay community and those within it that a gay actor definitely playing beyond those stereotypes would definitely, I think, be worthy of an opportunity to play a straight role. Don't you guys out there? I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear what you guys think about Hollywood's placement of, or directors choosing um, actors who are straight to play gay characters or trans characters, um, yet won't do the reverse and give our gay and trans actors an opportunity to um, broaden their um, their craft and playing roles that are outside of who they actually are and let them play straight characters um, on movies and television. I, 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 it always, always bothers me. I mean, we even had, what's this, Eric Stone Street who plays um, a character on TV's Modern Family who's actually won two Emmys for his role. And, and he's, up a, he's opposite a a openly gay character in his role uh, playing uh, spouses um, on the show. But I wonder if the gay char- the gay actor was actually considered for a straight role on that show. I, I don't know. I just think it's kind of, kind of ironic. So if you have some thoughts and like to share it with me here on It's Everything, go ahead and email to itseverything at bbsweetbriar.com and I will definitely... Read your thoughts on the air. Um, again, I wanted to um, also tell you that there's some things in the news that I want to share with you real quickly before we go to our first break and bring on our first guest. Um, I'm sure that you are aware that, um, well, you know what? I'm going to save that for later. I was going to share something with you now, but I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to hold off on that for a little bit in the program. And um, you guys will just have to wait a little bit. But I will mention like, late in the program, I will be bringing on a recorded interview that I happen to have with the one and only Leona Lewis. That's the British songstress who is a past winner of X Factor back in 2007. Actually, she's the very first winner of X Factor. And she just um, delivered or released a brand new album here in the United States called I Am. And I got an opportunity to speak with her about the album and the empowering um, 
the empowerment she hopes to create with this album, including her campaign called Hashtag I Am Empowered, which really gives uh, an opportunity for her fans, young and old, to um, share their stories um, of empowerment and thoughts um, or, or share quotes and, and things of that nature that will help, hopefully help others along the way. And that will be my last interview of the uh day. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and say we're going to take a little bit of a break. Again, I want to throw out again, if you have some thoughts about our straight actors playing gay characters versus gay actors playing straight characters, please email them to everything at bbsweetfriars.com. And we'll be right back in two and two. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I'm so glad you stayed with us. I hope you are in for some good interviewing going on right now because that's exactly what I hope to bring to you. As I mentioned in our first segment, um, we'll be talking a little bit about that Rent Boy raid um, that was done by the Department of Homeland Security and the New York Police Department on August 25th when they raided the RentBoy.com offices in Manhattan, arresting Uh, seven individuals, including uh, its CEO. And, of course, there's been a lot of whirlwind um, about why this happened, why is Homeland Security involved with something like this here um, in the United States. And there's a lot of um, speculation of goes into why this even occurred beyond what the the actual arrest warrant uh, spoke of, which was... Um, that the website promoted illegal prostitution, number one, and number two, uh, money laundering are the two actual um, charges of my understanding that were that are being brought up or being considered against uh, the company itself. Uh, but there's a lot of other things that go into um, play that people are considering, such as we all have heard of the Ashley Madison data breach where the actual company, which um, is kind of an outlet for those who want to cheat on their spouse, I guess that's what you call it, which is kind of weird, but that data breach where people got a hold of those who used the actual um, the site, and I think they were called the Impact Team. I think that's what the group that acknowledges that they breached uh, into Ashley Madison's um, computer system, 
and that they threatened to release some names of their customers if the website was not shut down. Well, of course, we know it wasn't shut down, and they actually did release some of those names. So some people think that that whole thing had some people up in arms, like maybe the Republicans, maybe some Christian folks who might be using Rent Boy there, and maybe they used their powers to be to um, shut down the site before any breaches of that site were done. I don't know. There's so many reasons why this could have occurred, but the reality of it is, I think the company did break the law, and that's probably what they're going to go to trial for. But anyway, what I'm really interested in knowing and in talking about is how is this affecting those who use the site as a means of um, income? And so I've reached out, um, you know, many of my friends um, and people I am proud to call my friends and colleagues and everything else because these are people I consider to be that I respect and have great opinions and contribute to society as a whole. And um, so I reached out and I have someone on the line that I'd like to introduce to you all who will shed some light on maybe how this whole thing may affect him. So I want to have Wolfie Blue join us on the phone. How are you, Wolfie? I'm do I'm delicious. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm glad that you're delicious because I don't want you to be anything other than that. I'm so glad that you had that you took some time today to uh, give us a call in so that we can kind of talk a little bit about this whole uh, rentboy.com raid. And as I kind of mentioned out to the public out there, as you I'm sure you were listening, there there's so many. Uh, speculations as to the real reason why um, this arrest or this raid actually occurred. And I'm talking about beyond what is written in the document that they served the six individuals um, uh, or so seven individuals on the day of the raid. Um, but I'm really more interested in how this will be affecting many people out there who utilize the site as a means of income. And, and I know you happen to be one of the, um, uh, I, do you call it registered? I don't know what escorts on the site. Is it registered mm-hmm. escort advertisers? I don't know what it is. Um, on there and, um, and, and so many other people that I know as well as you know. And this is kind of a big blow for you. And, um, so I'm just I, I want to throw out there first of all what were what were your initial thoughts when you heard about the rent boy raid? I, I almost thought it wasn't real. I had a I had a whole bunch of people contact me, like um, from the adult industry, from um, my personal friends, and you know they asked me what you know. Oh my gosh, it's not up. What's happened? And um, when I read what happened, I I. My heart, like, sounds just a little bit. I, I was trying to figure out why it happened, and and uh, I was just, I wasn't, like, shocked or anything. I was just, you know, I was just, I didn't have any words to say. I was I was just kind of said to myself, well, all right, great. You know, it, it reminds me of that little cartoon and where everything just goes up and, you know, uh, Kind of things hit the fan, and mm-hmm. just sit there and says, "I'm just fine. I can do this." You know. <laughs> were, were there ever any fear or anything come over your head that those who um, are escorts on the site would themselves be in jeopardy of being arrested? Um. Yes and no. It really depends on what you're doing mm-hmm. um, and what you're using the site for. Mm-hmm. Um, there's plenty of people who 
legitimately escort, and they're just like a trophy date for, yes, politicians, um, quite a few, founders of really huge companies. Um, and, you know, they carry with them a lot of secrets, Vivi. And, you know, I'm... You mean the escort carries a secret? Yeah, the escort, you know, carries that as a, as a secret, you mm-hmm. know. And it, um, it just... It, I don't think... I think there are some fears that people are going to get arrested, but if you remember, it's a worldwide thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, when they seize all that data, they have to mine it, you know, data mine it for all sorts of different types of information. And while, you know, it's kind of funny that they take the time to shut down the website, I I don't think they're just going to go after people individually. It's just, it's too much, and it, it wastes too much of their resources, which, you know, Homeland could use for bigger potential threat. Yeah. Um, well, and that's another thing that you brought up because this is a world co- um, company and supposedly that's why Homeland Security is involved because it is something that reaches beyond our um, our borders here and, um, and because of the uh, supposed money laundering, that would be money that would be coming from all over the world. Um, and, and so that's supposedly part of the interest in the involvement of um, Homeland Security. But you bring up a point as far as the individual, because there's a thousand, there's thousands of escorts on this site, thousands. Um, and you're right. It just seems like it would be a tremendous amount of people. Now, some people are also saying, too, about the, you know, uh, the was it the Swedish um, model? about um, trying to eradicate, I guess, if, if we want to use that word, the sex worker industry by, you know, the Swedish model actually kind of attacks the, the, the user or the demander um, um, and, and criminalizes that, saying that the sex worker is actually the victim. And if that model is somehow put to use, there would be some danger to those who have actually have their information as, as a client online. Um, mm-hmm. So my question also to you being that, because basically what goes on there, and even though I do know that, and I do know from a person personally, because I've browsed through Rent Boy, um, never been a user, but I've browsed through it. And you don't need to register as a person on the as a user in order to get the information of an escort because the the numbers there you can text and do all that stuff without giving your personal information your IP address of course is there but you have to do that but because you are a user did any of your clients because your clients have your number anytime they don't have to go back to the site to get a hold of you if they want to utilize your escort service um so with that in mind did any of those after hearing of were you contacted by anyone having a fear that because they found you from that site that they may be at jeopardy um at all um you know i had over a dozen people contact me to you know clients that i had um that were more scared for me than themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have some people who, um, you know, that I usually go and have drinks with and, and you know, a night on the town, usually downtown Sacramento, and they were, um, you know, committed to another relationship and stuff, and they're, they're just more afraid how it would affect them domestically, mm-hmm. you know. 
And it, um, I think that's what they were more afraid of. Um, you know, some, there was only, I think, two that, I, that, I, that were really worried uh, for whatever the reason. And, you know, it, when you put your information out there, you're going to be at risk for a lot of things. But I tried to encourage them, you know, that, you know, whatever secrets or whatever information you give to me, I'm going to hold on to it as a secret, you know, whether you know, bridges are burned or not, you know, I have enough integrity that I would keep that to myself, you know. Well, and, and plus, I mean, this alone would not be the impetus to make anyone actually probably do that because you've always, always had that information. So if you wanted to do something with it before, this wouldn't be the catalyst that would make you do it now, I wouldn't think. Yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't speak for, you know, um, other, uh, you know, escorts. I mean, I know there was one where, you know, a fairly rich individual who um, created, like, some sort of internet phone thing, he was kind of caught up in something, mm-hmm. and he had, you know, um, I don't... I think it was something... Like, extor- I, I know what you're talking about. I'm not for sure, actually, who the... I can't remember the client, but there was some extortion that was going on, blackmail and that yeah. type of thing, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, I mean, you, you know, I'm not saying that that wouldn't exist or somebody would get angry enough at the... The rent boy shut down, and they point fingers at you know whether, like, say, if there was a politician using site, or maybe there was some rich person from some big head company somewhere, you know, that's in the public eye. Um, I don't, I don't know, but I mean, I guess lone wolves are always a danger, and you know that 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 takes interest in homeland security right there. But I, I really don't. I really don't think it's going to blow up out of proportion or, 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 or anything matter of fact in that regard. I just, it's just really hard to say because all you can is make assumptions and, you know, when you, you know, assumptions are much different than what you're observing. Right. You can just come down to some conclusions. Right. Well, what about your, 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 your counterparts that, you know, I know, you know, many uh, other um, folks who use the, the rentboy.com as a means of income, as escorts, and probably more prevalent than you do. Um, and have you spoken to them on, on what is it that they, they're planning to do as a, another means of um, being able to reach more clients or to get more clients than since now? I mean, there's other things out there, I'm sure. I mean, we can always remember Craigslist now, y'all. So, yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I, I can imagine some people put, you know, they're kind of at a Craigslist, and, and you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, that's, yeah, they could always do that if they wanted to, but it's just, um, you know, the, the that that kind of platform is not as safe as, as Renpoi would be. Yes, exactly. Well, yeah, and the thing, the thing about the rentboy.com is it, to me, Get, I mean, I don't know. I, I just have a, a thing. I mean, Craigslist, of course, you can go online and get, I don't know, but there's just something about, it being a little hokey for me. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't have that professionalism to it, I guess, that, you know, that you're on Craigslist or what. I mean, I think Rent Boy made it all seem just a little, I guess the right word I'm going to use, they made it seem legit. I think that's probably <laughs> the best way to kind of put that. And, and, I'm, and I'm not saying it, and please, oh, no one's inferring that I'm saying that what people are doing on the site is is not legit, but um, there are some things on there, I'm sure, because I've spoken to many, I've, I've interviewed many escorts and many 
um, uh, people who have used some means of doing that. And they tell me, I go, well, what's the definition? What's the difference between being an escort and being a sex worker? And um, the, 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 the general thing that came to me, always comes to me, is that when you're an escort, the person who is paying you is paying for your time versus, and that's what you're selling. I'm selling my time to you um, to use at your discretion that I agree upon. And then the other is some specific, you're paying for something specifically sexual. Uh, And that's how they define the difference between escorting and being a sex worker and uh, a paid sex worker. And um, I don't know if that's kind of what the rule is, but when you read some of those ads and profiles of escorts on rentboy.com, they definitely are more specific than that, than time. Yeah, they, they are. And I, you know, and I think that's where it gets into a big gray area, um, what people you know, think it is or, or what they want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's, 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 it's hard, it's hard to define a lot of it in a book because, um, you know, there's so many hoops and red tape to jump through. And, um, you know, because of our culture, um, I'm not saying American culture is bad. I love American culture, but you know, with, when it comes to, you know, sex um, or <laughs> dates or sex or anything like that. It's very convoluted. You know, yeah. there's a lot of double standards. Um, um, a lot of things are looked down upon when people don't have the empathy to really take a look. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think that's what brings it such a big mess. And so then sex is, is shamed and that shame is carried over into things such as Rent Boy or other people who feel like they need to keep a part of their life secret, you yeah. know, and so, um, you know, they, they do things that maybe they wouldn't want normally the public eye to see when really it's not a bad thing at all. It's just, right. you know, another, it's another side of humanity. And I guess, right. yeah. Well, I, 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 I think you're right. I mean, I, we, I, we know versus other countries, European countries and places around the world where, their ideas of sex are totally different than how we in America kind of look at it. And which, you know, goes to the argument that's always brought up about the, you know, when they're talking about decriminalizing uh, sex work that, um, you know, we're two consenting adults um, that are making the decision to share each other. And when we put those restrictions on, we're really trying to, government's trying to control our bodies and the use of our bodies. And um, I, I think we need to totally go beyond that. And I know this whole raid has heightened the awareness and given, you know, even some more ammunition for those who are fighting towards decriminalization of sex work, um, a little bit more to work with and hopefully swayed more and more people over to the side of doing what's really just right and just really... Well, you know, that, that's true. And, I mean, you know, if you look back on history, there... Um, oh, God, I can't remember. It was pre-World... I think it was pre-World War II or post-World War II. Um, even the, around, um, you know, the West Coast of the United States, they did have, you know, sex workers who everybody knew what they did, right? Mm-hmm. And these people would make hundreds of thousands of dollars. And back then, that money was a, exorbitantly a lot more. And what those people did is they took portions of their money and gave it back to the community, to schools, other things like that. Um, and, you know, they, 
Well, that's like, that's even a whole nother discussion that we'll have to take up some other time yeah. about about how many people in porn, even in pornography and sex work, actually give back as volunteers to the community, and um, that is not just time, but also equates to dollars. But that's a whole nother conversation, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, I'm out of time to even continue this conversation. But. <laughs> But I want to thank you, Wolfie, for your time, and thank you for being on It's Everything. I want to tell everyone out there we'll be right back after another break, and hopefully you'll stay tuned. I'll have Jake Biondi on next. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed those little messages out there. We love to give you some information, even if it comes from my mouth or from the mouth of advertisers. I love it. I hope you enjoyed um, what we had to, or what Wolfie Blue had to say about um, the effect of the rentboy.com raid had on what he does as an escort and others, and even some information about the stuff he received or the news and and concerns he received from his clients. So um, hopefully we can take some of that and and help you decipher what's all going on with this whole thing. Um, But now we're going to twist it a little bit and and, um, I'm going to bring someone on that um, is actually an author, a great author, by the way, and writes a wonderful series of books entitled Boys Town. Um, Of course, we all are aware of Boys Town in Chicago, that gay community out there. And um, I thought I would call Jake up and have him talk about his, number one, his fourth um, uh, book in the series, as well as we'll talk a little bit about gay gay shows, making gay TV series and putting them on TV. Is there a different process? Is there a different thought about, um, as a writer, a, a screenwriter, what you do um, to kind of make it fit in the world of television? Um, and so let me welcome Jake Biondi to the show. Hi, Jake. Hey, how are you? Well, fine. It's been a while since I last spoke with you. I know. It's good to talk to you again. Oh, great. How's it in Chicago? Everything is great here. As I hope it is out there as well. Well, the weather's been really great. It's been a little bit kind of Chicago-ish over the last week or last couple of weeks with the with the heat and some humidity. But we've we've kind of calmed down now, so we're we're kind of feeling really good right now. But um, but you know, and we're getting ready for fall. Oh yeah, so, colored leaves. Right. The <laughs> the thing that we don't have here, <laughs> so we don't have that. Right, we don't exactly. have that season. We kind of skip that. But anyway, um, you're kind of on the the verge of releasing the fourth book in your series of Boys Town. Um, and that must be exciting. It's really exciting. The book will come out on November the 13th, Friday the 13th, making it a lucky day. Oh, wow. And, um, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just been really exciting. I can't wait to see what um, the readers think of, think of it, and they'll be able to find out what happened to their characters in the um, cliffhanger from book three. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's like this is your second 
release in the series this year because you release um, series um, season three. And and for those who, who are not familiar with Boys Town, um, Jake writes his books not as uh, sequels or a series, but he actually calls them seasons as you would a television uh, series. And so your season three actually came out in May, if I'm not mistaken. That, that's correct. Um, so this will be the second one for this year. And so, time for the holiday season. Yeah. So you're actually turning these out, really, the way you really would turn out, basically, uh, a seasoned script of shows. I mean, that's kind of what you're doing. That's Yeah, that's right. That's the goal, anyway. Um, you know, some of the books take a little bit longer, and there was a gap between two and three because I was working on the script versions of the books for the, for the potentially the TV show that we're working on. Um, but normally under normal circumstances, two a year would be the goal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, and that, and that brings us to you, you brought up the whole thing is that you are in the process of trying to, um, get this, uh, get Boys Town as a, a television series, on whatever network wants it, <laughs> but you're trying right. you're trying to do that. But as we spoke before, you've written these books in a way that they're really kind of primed for television because they're not written the way we would normally. I mean, we as a reader would not be reading these the way we would normally read a novel because of the way they're written. Um, just kind of briefly tell me, like, what your idea is, how you put these books together, um, versus how you might have written another type of novel. Well, you're right in the fact that they're written like TV shows. I've just been always a huge fan of TV shows and also um, serialized dramas just in particular. So the whole reason that motivated me to start the Boys Town series was my interest in you know, older shows like Dynasty and Dallas and Falcon Crest. And since the way, that's the way I visualize the action happening, that's the way I wrote it. So you know, people that re-pick up the first book, they may take... A chapter or two to get used to the style because it's not like reading a novel. It's more the scenes are jumping around more like a TV show would. But then they all tell me that after a chapter or two, they you know their mind gets into that TV sort of mode, and then it, it reads really smoothly after that. So I guess the goal is, is succeeding in that way. And it, you're right; it makes an e- for an easy transition actually to television. Yeah. Now we have, of course, you know, experienced gay series or gay TV series um, most recently was looking on HBO, which lasted a short two seasons. So we really, in my opinion, I, I mean, and I'm talking a full out show with, if not all of their main characters, at least a, the ma- major majority of them being um, gay characters, because um, I wouldn't consider Will and Grace to be an actual gay series. Um, in reality, I wouldn't. But um, because they did have two gay characters, there was a lot of emphasis on a lot of the straight characters um, as well. Right. So I, I wouldn't. But we, I wouldn't say that we had, we haven't had a real successful, dramatic type of series since Queer as Folk. What, what, what do you think right. that would be about yeah, right? I, I, oh, I think that's absolutely right. Um, what, why do you think that is? I, I think it's a variety of things. I, I think that regardless of whether it's a gay show or a straight show, it's the characters, the connection of the characters that keeps people connected. Mm-hmm. And um, if the characters are really of interest, that's where you get more of a broad appeal to the audience. And even though it's going you know, like to be a gay show, 
they have to attract a larger audience than just a gay audience or the network's going to drop it. Mm -hmm. So you've got to have the characters that people connect with. And um, one of the things I found interesting about Boys Town was that when the first book first came out, 99% of the audience was female, mm. um, straight women that were just reading the books. And eventually the gay audience discovered it as well. And I think that that's one of the things that makes it attractive to the producers I'm working with is that, it, you know, yes, it's got gay couples and it's mainly gay characters. There's a few straight ones. But the characters are people that anyone, regardless of orientation, can connect to. And so I wonder about looking if that had, if it had that character connection mm -hmm. um, with with a broader based audience. Um, I, I don't know. And the other thing I would say too is I I think that they also had the fell victim to a bad time slot. True. Um, <laughs> because I think I mean they were I think because they were when looking was on they were on opposite of a lot of other shows that I think attracted a gay audience. Um, even though it wasn't, they weren't gay dramas like Looking was, and so that, I mean that for any TV show can be the kiss of death too. Is like, what are you? What's your competition? Yeah, that's true. And, and what what is about the whole thing too? Because some people also say, I mean, I think a lot of us watch not just television, but the cinema. We go to the movies sometimes to escape the things that are really happening in our communities and our world and our lives. All of that. We kind of go a little bit to those, to those uh, mediums to escape some of that. You know, we want to watch something that's totally um, absurd to watch, meaning like a lot of comedy shows and sitcoms were very popular, I think, back in the day because they were beyond reality. They were so hilarious, and it gave us an opportunity to kind of laugh at some things because they were just too unbelievable. Um, and I know a lot, of, a lot of our popular gay characters do come from comedy shows or from sitcoms primarily. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, I'm thinking that sometimes, how, how do you think it feels when people are trying to go to television shows that really kind of depict things really as they may be and um, people not kind of wanting to go see that? And sometimes when you're working with drama, that's kind of where you may be sometimes is that you're, you're dealing on issues that are real, that people can really relate to. And, and sometimes we may not want to do that. Do you think sometimes that can be a problem with um, dramatic shows in, in general, but in particular with dramatic gay life? Um, you know, there's some real issues there that are sometimes hard for us to deal with on a reality issue on a reality level, excuse me, than to put it out there and looking at looking at it in La La Land. Right. I mean, I do think that that can be an issue, but that's why I think it's also balanced. So I think that one of the successes of Queer as Folk was that there were some realistic um, issues and storylines in there, but there were also some of those sort of over-the-top mm -hmm. sort of fantasy kind of crazy things that was more of the escape part to blend in with the reality. And Boys Town is the same way. I mean, anyone that's picked up a Boys Town book knows these are characters that have maybe similar problems or similar issues to you and your friends, but it's taken to the extreme. I mean, it's, you know, that's what, that's what made Dynasty as popular as it was in the 80s. These were characters you connected with, but things were, you know, amped up over the top. Mm -hmm. um, and so you still had that escape piece, um, you know, even though you can connect with this character or that character. So, uh, you know, I don't know if Looking did that or not, um, I think Queer as Folk certainly did that balance. I think Boys Town does too. 
Yeah. Well, well, I know we've all been you you you're on Facebook for those who are out there. Voice Towns on Facebook uh, as a page, and you you have your own website um, as well, and that is jakebiondi.com, though, right? Correct. Okay, and that's B I O N D I, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but there you can find a lot of what's going on about the talk about this book series becoming an actual TV series, which really, to me, has been pretty much your your core fan base driven. I mean, they've really kind of really want to see kind of, okay, we're reading about these characters, but I want to see them. Does so-and-so really look as good as you're describing him? Or, does you know, it's like they want to see these people come to life, um, really. And I think that's kind of wonderful about how you've garnered so much support from just the fans who read the book and really kind of pushing this forward to come on television. Well, I wish you the best of that. And I know we're, we're going to be talking some more about um, uh, season four as we get closer to um, the release date uh, or when it's available on November the 14th. And that is a Friday, everyone out there. So, you know, make your, make your, make it, make it a lucky day for you. I want to thank you for coming on the show, Jake, and at least kind of shedding a little bit of light about, you know, writing a a, a gay series um, and and kind of what makes one kind of work and makes one not kind of work. And, and like I said, it's been a long time since we've had a long, um, running uh, primarily gay series on television again. Queer's Folk is that one that we mentioned. So, but I want to thank you for coming on and bring and talking a little bit about Boys Town. And, and you and I will be talking some more in the months to come. I'm sure. Great. I look forward to it. Thank okay. You for having me. Thank you so much, Jake. And um, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to introduce to you my interview with Leona Lewis. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Okay, everybody, welcome back. This is our final segment here on It's Everything on Sunday, the September 20th. I love that. Now, I love 2-0. I love that even number. I don't know why. But as I promised, um, I was going to um, introduce to you an interview that I had earlier with uh, British songstress Miss Leona Lewis, who we all remember from way back when. God, it's been eight years, I think, since she won X Factor in the UK back in 2007 and has put out a series of albums for us, um, uh, four if I'm not mistaken, one being a holiday album. And now she has a new release that she dropped in the United States on the 11th of September, and it's called I Am. And I spoke to her about the album. The name itself really does lend you to believe uh, that it is some kind of an awakening type of album, and I think it is for her. It's a very empowering album, and we talk about that, including a campaign that she has running with the album or came about in the making of the album called Hashtag I Am Empowered. Remember that hashtag I am empowered. You're going to have to need to know that for a little bit, and I'll tell you why in a second. Um, but we did talk about that as, as well as we spoke about her leaving Psycho, which is Simon Cowell's label, and the only label that she actually was a part of until uh, last year when she left the label. And we talk about why she left it and what it was like going out somewhat on her own. And this album is a, indicative of that because she made this album on her own before signing with another 
label. Here is Leona Lewis. Hello, Leona. Hi, baby. How are you? I'm fine, dear. How are you? It's so great to have you on the other end. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. I am, first of all, going to congratulate you on your upcoming release here in the U.S. with I Am. It's been a while. Yeah, um, it has been a while. And um, I'm just, yeah, so excited because I feel like a lot of my fans here have have been waiting for, you know, a U.S. release. So I'm glad that I can finally give that to them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know you left, you left last year. Um, your previous record label with Psycho and are now with Island with the release of, of I Am. And I know that yeah. that wasn't a, um, a hasty decision to do. I know you had been considering that for some time towards, you know, yeah. the end of your, your time there. And, and I know it's seven years. It's kind of funny. Is this your seven year itch that you got? But, <laughs> but, but, um, Crazy. Yeah, you know, but I know you, you would consider a lot of other things that weren't going the way you had liked them to go in order to make a decision. But um, what I, I, I'm under the impression that the album that they wanted you to make for your fifth um, album was more of a covers album, which was kind of not something you wanted to do. Was that actually kind of the straw that broke the camel's back with you as far as wanting to know, like, this might not be the place for me to be right now? Yeah, um, so I had um, just recorded my Christmas album, so I well, I really enjoyed it because I went into like a, another genre, I was doing Motown, and I kind of really enjoyed that process, but I then after that album, wanted to get back into the studio and just start writing, and I had been writing, and um, I, when I went into my label, I was kind of talking about what was going to happen next, and um, I just had a difference of opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted a very covers-heavy album, um, and I wanted to explore kind of my writing and, you know, going back to what I do. And um, so that kind of creative difference was definitely the moment where I was kind of had to, well, I was forced to make the decision to leave. And it was very hard because I loved being at the label and I loved who I was working with and um but there were a few things that had happened which I just couldn't ignore anymore mm-hmm. so although any, everything was amicable and you know I've worked with Simon a lot and um, we're um, it's all cool but yeah it was time to just go it was a bit of a scary decision because I was kind of leaping into the unknown um didn't really know where I was going to go next so I had a little bit of time kind of wondering and, and really kind of figuring out what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's not very different, to be honest with you, than the way we grow up and live our lives. I mean, you were very young um, when you signed with Psycho, right after winning The X Factor. And, you know, we do that kind of when we're growing up as we are young adults. And at some point in time, it's time to leave you know, the roost and go on our own. And I, I kind of see that as kind of that point for you um, where you, you know, you form your own opinions and your own direction of what you want to do in life and you leave home and you kind of do the same thing in your career. Yeah, definitely. It definitely felt like leaving home, <laughs> um, leaving the nest for sure. Mm-hmm. Now this album I Am is, is, is about a lot about empowerment and, rising above and t- owning 
the things that are you and, and living your life as you see fit, um, did that come out of your experience with the label over at least the last couple of years? Yeah, it definitely did. And it was kind of, um, it was it was a very empowering um, decision because whereas I kind of felt to myself that I was very much, I don't know, like there were a lot of people around me. So I had a lot of people kind of helping me and, you know, showing me the way and I was learning a lot mm -hmm. um, so I definitely value that but leaving the label and then making this album I went out and did it on my own um, without a record label and without that kind of backing and mm -hmm. that backup so that was it was a very liberating process and as, it was very scary as well because like I said I didn't know where I was going to end up with it and taking on that responsibility you also have the responsibility if everything goes wrong right. <laughs> so right. it was, it's kind of both, it's both ends of the scale so um, yeah a lot of those kind of emotions uh, in the lyrics in the album. Yeah. You, you've always been um, very good at reaching out to your fans, but more recently, you've really been very transparent about the things that have been going on with you over the last couple of years. And, um, and with that being said, you've also, with this album, developed a campaign um, you know, about I Am Empowered. Um, can you talk a little bit about what what drove you to actually kind of creating this campaign and what do you actually hope to accomplish um, by doing yeah. something? Um, it, well, it's all very organically. Um, I had written an open letter to my fans a while back um, and, you know, I was going through different things emotionally and I was talking about the downtimes that I would have and the highs and the lows that I was going through and talking about my emotions and how I was feeling um, because I had had a lot of people reaching out to me saying, where are you and <laughs> when are you putting out an album mm -hmm. and what's happening with the music and all of these things. And at the time, I was in a, a bit of a, um emotional state because I had just left my label and I wasn't sure of what was going on and um, I was, you know, I'm always creating music but I didn't know how I was going to put it out there and um, I kind of wanted to reach out to people and let them know what's happening and, you know, also on a human level just to say, like, guys, I'm going through a hard time right now um, and this is how it is and, and I want you to know that I'm still... You know, I love you guys and I love you for the support, but, you know, give me time because I'm figuring things out. And mm -hmm. um, people, like, immediately, I got so many letters back, so many messages back of people writing to me. And um, I would sit and read them and these, a couple of stories stood out, which was one boy that had suffered from anorexia. Mm -hmm. And um, he was kind of scared to talk about it because it was very taboo subject and mm -hmm. you know for a, a guy to admit that to people it was just very hard for him so he spoke about that to me and I also got a letter from a young girl who tragically lost um, some of her family members and she spoke to me about how she um, now goes and helps people that have lost family members and talks them you know through it and it's, it's kind of like a therapist in a way mm -hmm. so you know, how she turned that around to be something positive. Um, and I would would sit and read these letters and I was just, I literally got chills reading them and, and I knew that I had to do something with them. So 
I, um, for, the, for a month, um, I basically started this thing called Empower Month. Mm-hmm. And I shared the stories that people would send to me. So I put them on my Facebook and I put them on my Twitter. And then I'd share kind of what I've been going through and I'd share different speeches that inspired me and, and different people that inspired me and kind of just share that on social media. And it kind of just snowballed into this campaign where people would kind of reach out to me and, and help put the word out and kind of just helping share stories that in some way might affect someone or make someone think differently or help someone that was going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. So that's how it all started. Well, you also kind of had a, a, a similar, someone kind of gave you a little kick in the pants there a little bit, I understand. <laughs> uh, um, when you met Stevie Nicks um, after yeah. a Fleetwood Mac um, concert and uh, or, or a rehearsal, how get, t- kind of tell me how that was and, and really how that how could something like I mean a lot of people would think like how could something like that kind of simple impact someone so greatly? Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Well, um, at the time, I um, you know was I was recording my album and kind of in in a state of a bit of a, a, a lull mm-hmm. and um, feeling a bit like you know you have those days where you're just like oh you know what like I feel like everything is it's a bit of a dark cloud and I went to her suite with Max rehearsal and um, afterwards I got to meet Stevie Nicks and she basically came up to me. And um, she started singing one of my songs to me. And she grabbed me and hugged me for ages. And I was like, wow, like, heaven is sending me a Stevie Nicks hug. This mm-hmm. is crazy right now. And <laughs> <laughs> so, um, um, then she just started talking to me about music and telling me that she wants to hear what I'm doing and telling me that I need to share my music with the world and that the world needs to hear my music and I need to keep going. and just giving me a pep talk really mm-hmm. and um yeah you know you get sent these little signs sometimes and, and for me that was a huge a huge sign to keep going and yeah. you know keep on keeping off really yeah that sounds really great now this album you you've written um in collaboration with some great folks and to come up with the songs that you have and i know thunder is currently the single that's being released before the album um, here in the States, but there is one yeah. song on the album that is written by my all-time favorite songwriter and Diane Warren, and I understand yeah. she wrote this song specifically for you, which is somewhat unusual for her, um, and you join a very limited company with that happening. Um, how, how did that connection happen for you? Uh, well, I have known Diane for years, and like you, she's one of my favorite songwriters, especially for female vocalists. Mm-hmm. She just gets it. Um, and um, I have known her for years, but for some reason, like, we had never um, got a song together on the album. Like, we had recorded songs together before, but none of them had made it onto my album. Mm-hmm. So um, this time, because I was going out and, and doing the album myself, um, I wanted to have a Diane song on there and she actually um, got inspired by the open letter that I was talking about that mm-hmm. I wrote and um, she wrote a song about it um, and Diane doesn't write songs specifically for artists so mm-hmm. I felt very very honoured that she you know would write one for me wow um, and that ended up yeah being on the album 
And that, that song is You Knew Me When, correct? Yeah, that's right. Was that inspired by the boy story or the young girl? Um, that was inspired by the letter that I wrote. Oh, so, oh um, your letter, your open yeah, letter. Okay, great. Yeah, my one, exactly. Wow, how wonderful. Well, I am just so, like, pleased that you've also done something else, and, and I know it's coming from your heart, but I'm going to ask you anyway, because I noticed that you have been reaching out to your LGBTQ fans across the world and appearing yeah. at many, um, um, you know, clubs and venues that are specific to that community. And I was just wondering, you know, um, why this one is, why this time it's so purposeful for you to do that? Um, well, before, um, I mean, I know the huge, huge, huge following that I have in that community. It is so important to me to, to reach out to my fans on all levels. Mm -hmm. And this time around, I'm in much more control of what I do and where I go and, you know, where I perform and, and this is who I really want to kind of, yeah, kind of reach out to. Mm -hmm. And so that was a very, very important thing to me because I know that the community is so strong and support there is so strong for me. So just important that I do that um, and I mean I have always had been aware of it and, and done it but not on the level that I've been doing it this time mm -hmm. so um, yeah it's just very important to me especially with the this empowerment campaign right. and you know me being so open and you know gaining so much support back um, from everyone it's important to me to get out there and connect right. in that way. Well you were here not too long ago in San Francisco at the cafe um, about the release yeah. of the video, and you know, I'm sure that um, I wasn't happy. I didn't have the opportunity to make it by there because it was so like, oh my gosh, she's coming. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and, um, but um, I, you had to have felt a real good, warm reception from the crowd. Yeah, I um, I had kind of been on a radio tour, so as well, like some of the radio DJs came down, and it was so cool to just like I always get shocked and blown away by when I do come somewhere and, and people like give me such a warm reception and you know cheering and supporting it always kind of blows me away so um for, for me I don't know it's just great and and having kind of one-on-one -on -one time as well I did like a meet and greet afterwards so I met loads of people and yeah it was just so cool well that's great because you know, it's very rare that many people and fans in general have an opportunity to kind of get that type of personal um, reception with the person that they are so fanatic over. You know, you don't really get that opportunity very often in life. And so it's really nice that you, yeah. you gave your fans that opportunity to do that. Well, I'm just going to ask you one final question before we leave here, because I know you got plenty of things to do <laughs> um, yeah, with, the, no, no. With, with the album coming out on September 11th here. Um, but my, my, if there's a message that you would like um, anyone listening to the album to walk away with, what what would that message be? Oh, I really want this album to connect with people. Um, I want it to. I want people to feel uplifted and empowered. And um, I write. I've, if people get the book that I actually have, kind of written a, a little bit of a note to anyone listening to the album and I basically say that even though a lot of the songs of these albums 
for the album was written at a time when maybe I was down or low or going through some stuff that was hard for me to deal with. I wanted to write these songs to empower and uplift myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, I didn't go to that place where, you know, when you feel vulnerable, okay, I'm going to write these lyrics that, about what I'm feeling. I specifically wrote them as something positive, mm-hmm. even though at the time I was feeling down. Mm-hmm. And what I want, want people to get from that is that, okay, everything's not sunshine and rainbows all the time. We know that. But if you have a positive outlook, like, I swear you can you can get yourself out of any situation where you feel negative. So I feel like I, that's what I want people to get from it. So hopefully that's the message that resonates with people, that whatever you're going through, like, time is so important. Like, give it time, have a, a different outlook, um, and I swear you'll get through it. Okay. Yeah, that's what I want people to be with. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. For all of our programs, head to michellemeow.com.